All right. We're looking at chapter 9 tonight. One of the shorter chapters, though definitely lots to consider. Let's pray. Father, you are a great God. You are a patient, loving, forgiving God. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for not only your power, but your willingness to save, to forgive, to allow us to be a part of your work for eternity. Please help us to consider this aspect of prayer in calling upon you to strengthen us so that we would not enter into temptation. Help us to consider our ways and to consider how this should be a part of our daily prayers. Lord, I pray that you would be exalted in both the conversation and the changes that you make in us through this. Amen. So I was thinking about something I came across years ago. There was a church that was doing a rummage sale. And there weren't any prices on anything. And so they had a sign that said, uh, take what you want and give a donation. And guess what? They made more money that doing that than if they would have put a price on everything. Because in our minds, when somebody is selling something to us, we are trying to get the best deal possible. And we feel like we succeed if we can pay less than what the listing is. But when somebody is not asking for anything, now we feel guilt if we take it for less than it's actually worth. So there's not a direct correlation with this, but I think it gets at um, what this chapter and what all the other chapters are ultimately getting at, and that is that God wants our heart. He wants us to come to him not because we owe him, but because we want to give to him because he has given us, and we know we can't pay him what it's worth, so we strive after him, hoping to uh, be able to at least honor him for what he has given us. So deliver us from evil. Page 143. Anyone have anything underlined on the first page? Oh, wait, first, who read it? Who read chapter 9? All right. Did you pray before you read? Yep. Yeah. I know. 
probably subsets of that. Uh, but I mean, both of those are a lack of peace and joy. So might we be able to nitpick and find more potentially? Yeah, and we have to constantly ask ourselves, what's more important, being right or knowing right? Hmm? There's more? What do you have, Jonathan? Yeah, I, I really like um, the last section. The unknown author summarized the impact of the prayer, so we'll we'll go over that. But yeah, it's the the opposite of what we see here. He's essentially diagnosing, you know, our problem with evil and our flesh. And this prayer addresses the different areas that we combat. And, and it's, I think sin can be summarized by going our own way. When we go our own way, it's generally sin. It's when we go his way that we are doing what is right. All right, 144. He goes into the difference between temptations and trials in the bottom half. Uh, and then 145, the interpretive problem. Anything jump out to you, cause you to question or be challenged? Trent, anything on 144 or 145? Anything, Jonathan? All right.
Right. In, the interesting thing is, obviously thinking about Romans 1 and Paul just presenting the state of sinful man and I know I've mentioned this before, but we've been trying to watch um, some of the Ray Comfort videos, at least one every night, and see the different types of people and what their response is to the gospel. And it's amazing, you know, there are varying levels of, of uh, animosity or uh, of submission to truth and <clears throat> it's helpful to consider the fact that while we can share truth everyone again going back to what Sarah said everyone has a level of truth that they stand on and in most for the most part, it's based on their experience, and it's made out of paper. It's so easily easy to collapse, to burn up, to uh, to be blown down, and yet they hold on to it for dear life, and it just shows. Thinking about that, to me. Everybody knows they need something, right? Everybody knows they're guilty and they're trying to figure it out. And the biggest challenge, or one of the biggest challenges, is every other religion in the world is works-based. And so that's the majority of what they hear. And it's, it's so interesting that uh, when he asked people, do you think you're a good person? The vast majority of people, even the ones that call themselves Christians, say, yeah, I'm a good person. And the ones that call themselves Christians, he says, well, Jesus said no man is good. So how do you, how do you reconcile that? And, you know, a lot of times they're not Christians. They just think they are. So anyways, it's, it's interesting. You know, they, they call it a house of cards the house of cards that people have built as their, uh, their way to salvation. And it's our job to share and live the truth so that hopefully they see that and, and the Holy Spirit uses that to convict them. Pastor. Yep. Uh, in the solution you're saying? Um, I guess my my overall what's uh, the way I reconciled it was you know 
I hate to put it like this because I can't think of another way to explain it, but even though I don't understand it, I know it's true. So, you know, there are a number of paradoxes in Scripture that we can't fully uh, grasp. And so, uh, part of me didn't try to fully comprehend his explanation. And I just considered, I know God doesn't tempt us. And yet I know he brings trials into our lives to uh, test us. And so I can't fully reconcile that in my mind. So I just said, Lord, you know. Okay, I see what you're saying now. So as you're saying that, I'm processing it, and I'm thinking, uh, like, the unpardonable sin. If you're a Christian, you have likely worried and wondered, oh no, have I committed the unpardonable sin? And if you're not a Christian, you don't even think about it. So because of the fact that we think about it and worry about it, it it's a, a sign that there is spiritual life there because we are concerned about that thing. And so, somewhat of a parallel in that we know that God doesn't tempt us, but we know that we can be tempted, and we know that God will use the trials to change us. So, yeah, we pray anyways to, that we would not be tempted. And I, I think it's, to a certain extent, well, going back to what we said at the beginning, prayer doesn't change us. I mean, prayer doesn't change God, it changes us, right? So why would we pray this, that he would not lead us into temptation? I think in part, so that we, we would have that, part, have that aspect on our mind so that we would go to him and trust him and say, hey, I could be tempted today. Lead me away from this. So just with that understanding, I think that, again, the whole point, the main point in prayer is to um, 
be an outlet for us to submit ourselves to God and to be changed by it, right? So I think it fits in that uh, format. Yeah? Like Job. Yeah, I, I think... I'm not trying to get too far in the weeds, but I think it's important because I think if you say, well, God doesn't tempt us, where does the temptation come from? Well, I think it's, it's like that in almost every aspect. Just think about salvation, right? We could, someone and people have tried to argue that God sends people to hell. He's in control of everything, so if people go to hell then he must send them there, right? But that's a faulty argument because of human responsibility. So I think in the same way, there's human responsibility. He is, he's in control of everything, but just like with Job, he didn't kill Job's family. He allowed Satan to do it because he knew what the testing would provide for not just Job, but for millions and millions of people thereafter. So... We can't have our cake and ice cream, too. We can't, uh, I think that's a better way to say it personally. But, uh, <laughs> but we can't blame God for the things that happen negatively in our life. And we also can't um, come to him when we need something. And, you know, we, we don't blame him for the bad things, 
and we don't just come to him when things are good. But that's our tendency. And it's, it's wrong on both accounts. So we have to understand our part in the, in the play. So, yeah, I think Job is a, is a great example in that, you know, first he said that he could just not harm, harm Job, and then he said he could harm Job. And he knew both the timing and the outcome that would lead to what he wanted. And that is uh, a greater reflection of himself. So it's like uh, in Quieting a Noisy Soul, Jim Berg says, either God is good all the time or he's not. He can't be both. He can't be both good and not good. So if that's our starting point, even if we can't fully comprehend it, that has to be the basis for our, um, our assessment of what we do understand. Yes, sir. <laughs> Write it down. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was reading, I can't remember if it was in this or if it was in the devotion that I was reading this morning, but it was talking about, um, I think it was the devotion, but it was talking about a jewel. And the jeweler uses both a cloth and a file and a chisel right to perfect things and we we want him to only use the cloth but and, and, and shine us up and buff us and but we are imperfect so there's a lot of grinding and chiseling that needs to be done and yeah I was actually thinking along the same lines you know as children get older one of the hardest things, at least for me, and I'm assuming some, or a lot of other parents, is to let them fail. And more times than not, we are so stubborn, we are so prideful that it takes our own mistakes to learn from, and we're, we're unwilling almost to learn from others' mistakes. And so we can't protect them from everything. We have to let them fail in some areas so that they can learn and 
it might be a very hard lesson. But in the end, God is at work even in that, right? So we can trust him as parents, grandparents. We can trust him that he is working despite us. And even in those very difficult situations, I just finished reading a book um, or listening to an audiobook for the second time called Fearless about a Navy SEAL and it gave his whole life story and he was a really good kid like everybody would want this kid as their son he was respectful he was obedient he was uh, a little daredevil but he was a great kid and he started his parents stopped going to church and he started dating this girl and uh, got hooked on crack cocaine and struggled with that for many years and ended up fighting it by joining the Navy and had a connection and got in and, and became one of the top uh, SEALs to ever be in the program. Uh, passed all the training, had amazing trials, and it is, like, there were so many instances. He ended up becoming a Christian um, but there were so many instances of, and evidences, I should say, of God's work. Like, there's no way he could have done it. He passed um, what was called DevGru, which is the highest, like, SEAL Team 6, highest level of training with one eye. He got an eye shot out uh, by a, a dummy round in, in one of the training, and he was able to pass the highest level possible with one eye. It's like insane. Like there's no way. He had his his hand crushed off in a car accident. They sewed it back on. He ended up passing sniper training, which is the second highest level of training in all of the military. So anyways, like all these things, like there's no way he would have done that apart from God's grace. And he ended up dying in a battle um, in Afghanistan. It was Afghanistan. Um, but he, was, he basically sacrificed himself to save his friends. And everybody knew this guy was a Christian. And the impact that he's had since his book was written is amazing. So he went through a trial most of us will never understand in being addicted to, to crack. And God used that to make him who he wanted him to be, and he only had a short number of years, but he left a, a very strong impact. So again, an extreme example, but you know, somebody could say, well, why didn't God stop him from meeting that girl? You know, that would have solved all the problems. In our understanding, yes, but in God's plan, it brought about his plan. Norma. Right. Well, and one of the things he's talking about in the interpretive problem is it's, it's not simply sin. A trial isn't always sin. Uh, temptation isn't always sin. 
it is the introduction to, or could lead to, sin, right? And it, so we need to pray that we would not give in to temptation, and yet, at the same time, that we would uh, persevere through trials and trust that God is working. And that's, that's the hard part is that you know, we're trying to navigate here, is how do we reconcile both of those things at the same time? And, and I don't know if there's a perfect way to do it, but we, we have to trust that God's working. And when we have a temptation and we pray and we are obedient and we don't give in, then he is glorified in that. When we give in and we suffer and we become stronger and learn from that, he is glorified. All right. Let's move on. 146 or 147. <clears throat> Pastor. I'm sorry, which paragraph? Okay. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'm sure we've all had situations like that. We eat till we're full, and then we see something else, and the lust of the eyes kicks in, and we know we shouldn't, but sometimes we do, and we indulge, and it is gluttony. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and that happens in different ways. That happens, you know, whether it's with food or whether it's with, um, oh, just one more video on YouTube, just one more video game, just one more, you know, whatever. It's, it's excess, right? And, you know, as soon as you said, uh, if we had a great relationship with our spouse, then we wouldn't be tempted to lust. I wish that were true. I think we're always tempted. But if the, the better that relationship, I would say, with God, the less likely we give in. As much as our relationship with our spouse has an impact, it's if God's, if, if our relationship with God is not close at that time, we're still likely to, at least I know in, in the past, there's been times where I thought to myself, you know, I guess, how can I put this?
it's not enough. So a close relationship with another person is enough when you're with that person. But when they're not around, out of sight, out of mind, to a certain extent, and now it's about your relationship with God, I guess is how I would say it. Absolutely. One of the best sayings I ever heard was, it's better to want what you have than to have what you want. It's better to be content with what you have than think you'll be content with what you want. If we could only learn that more and more, well, by God's grace, we'll learn that more and more. The other thing that I was thinking about is, <clears throat> oh, never mind, it left me. If it comes back, I'll let you know. Huh? Jonathan, yes, sir. Yeah, so we started listening to uh, Knowledge of the Holy, and Tozer had such an exalted view of God that I don't find in many authors, in many Christians for that matter, 
and he made a comment that was, I'm going to summarize, give you the gist of what he's saying. If we are not enthralled by God, we will seek to be enthralled by the things of this world. And so it always comes back to our heart. What are we seeking to fill our heart with? And if we are not seeking to fill it with Christ, then we will find a cheap substitute. And, uh, yeah, we're not really picky. We, we tend to fill it with garbage when we are not pursuing Christ. Norma? So, okay, so let's go back to, I know what I was going to say, and I was talking to Sarah about this on on Sunday. (laughs) You made a comment, Pastor, and you said, Satan tempts us. So, just so we clarify, you're not meaning Satan personally tempts every single person, correct? I think... There's, a, there, there's two sides that people can fall on, and we have to consider what's realistic. One, we know Satan is not omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient, so he can't be tempting all more than one person likely at a time. Uh, so that's one side. And then the other side is we do have to understand that he's got a lot of help, right, with the world system, with his demons and whatever else, and even people that he might be uh, influencing or his demons might be influencing. So we don't know how many demons there are. Uh, And I think in general, correct me if I'm wrong, I think when MacArthur said it, I think when you just said it, Satan tempts us. You're not saying, if I'm tempted, it's always Satan. You're saying it's his influence one way or another uh, through the work that he's done or that his powers around him are doing, correct? Exactly. 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 Okay. So, as long as we understand that, I think we can rightly consider things and Kim and I have been talking a lot about this lately, and she's um, reading a book about spiritual warfare, and it's got a lot of good points to it. But one of the things we have to to recognize is that it's not in in many cases, and I might have said this in the recent weeks, in many cases. It's our flesh. In many cases, it's um, our own desires that trip us up. It's our own um, pride and selfishness and, and lust that is within us that causes us or that leads us to, to give in to, to that temptation. And yet, we know that Satan is at work. We know that he is doing things. And I was 
like I said, I might have mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but um, I was listening to a message and somebody said that Satan's biggest uh, area of influence is on religion. Because if he can get people to follow a works-based religion and not put their faith in Christ, he doesn't, there's not much else he has to do. And I thought, wow, that's... I wonder if there's something to that. We can't know for sure, but it seems like that's affecting the majority of the world in and of itself, just affecting the, the religion uh, or the systems of religion. All right, I did want to point out at the, that last uh, or that first paragraph on 147, pass or fail. Every struggle and trial we experience is allowed by God to test us, to exercise our spiritual muscles, and to help us mature. But if you don't commit the situation to God and stand in his strength, and there it is, Satan will turn it into a temptation and he will entice your lusts and may draw you into sin. So do we fully understand how that works? I don't think we do. But we have to understand that it generally starts with our flesh and our, you know, I I think of Peter taking our eyes off of Christ we begin to fall. We begin, we, we begin to sink. All right. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, we, if we find ourselves always blaming Satan, we're not being honest about our own sin. Yeah, and they're, like in most cases, there's two extremes, right? 
One extreme is to blame Satan for everything and not take responsibility. And the other extreme is to uh, not even consider that Satan has played a role whatsoever and be completely depressed about how wicked and sinful you are and how powerless you are. You know, and what's the answer? It's somewhere in the middle. Understanding that the world, our flesh, and Satan are all working to discredit us, and uh, it's only by God's grace that we can endure. Say that again. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. I always, I always remember uh, uh, the movie War Room where the lady goes outside and starts yelling at Satan. I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's helping, but I, I understand. <laughs> All right. 148. Uh, can't do it. Sorry. Running out of time here. All right, I had a couple things too, but I want to read this last quote just to end um, end on this note. And I think this is good for us to consider and go back to. And that is, you know, starts at the end of 149. I cannot say our if I live only for myself in a spiritual watertight compartment. I cannot say father if I do not endeavor each day to act like his child. I cannot say, who art in heaven, if I am laying up no treasure there. I cannot say, hallowed be thy name, if I am not striving for holiness. I cannot say, thy kingdom come, if I am not doing all in my power to hasten that wonderful day. I cannot say, thy will be done, if I am disobedient to his word. I cannot say, on earth, as it is in heaven, if I will not serve him here and now. I cannot say, give us our daily bread, if I am dishonest or under the counter, an under-the-counter shopper. I cannot say, forgive us our debts, if I harbor a grudge against anyone. I cannot say, lead us not into temptation, if I deliberately place myself in its path. I cannot say, deliver us from evil, if I do not put on the whole armor of God. I cannot say, Thy king, or thine is the kingdom, if I do not give the king the loyalty due him as a faithful subject. I cannot attribute to him the power if I fear what men may do. I cannot ascribe to him the glory if I am seeking honor only for myself. I cannot say forever if the horizon on my life is bounded completely by the things of time. What a great summary of why we need to pray this or pray this way and consider these things and Again, if, if we consider what we're saying and we are saying it believing and we are saying it with a proper understanding of what is being said, hopefully we'll be already considering things, maybe not this exact way, but this can help us to consider. I mean, what a great checklist. Not in a, meet, not in a way to say, all right, I'm doing this one and this one and this one, but more of a way to to uh, I can't think of the 
the common phrase in the New Testament. It says to, um, uh, what's the word that he uses? Basically, examine, examine our house, examine yourself, examine your hearts. This is a great examination to see where our hearts are. And that's ultimately what he wants, is our hearts. So that's what we need to be striving after. And this prayer as a whole, this sample of prayer as a whole, is to guide our hearts to the things that matter, that lead to change, that lead to us being, becoming more like him. Let's pray. Father, you know our hearts. You know that before you called us, they were pure sin. And though you have called us, we still struggle. I thank you that by your grace and your mercy, you still save us. And I pray that you would continue to draw us close to you that you would help us to examine our hearts regularly and ultimately that you would make our hearts more like you so that we would be more faithful, be more obedient, be more like our Savior. Please change us so that we might be more useful in your hands. Pray this, Father, so that you would be exalted. Amen.